My father and I were once attending a large conference. We came to the registration area there in the lobby of the convention center. My dad and I were both uh, registering, and as I'm registering with the person in front of me, I suddenly heard a woman's voice crying out, It's you! It's you! And uh, I looked over, and uh, it was the person registering my father. And this woman was in shock, and she's starting to cry, and we were taken back by the whole thing. She began to tell my father her story. When she was in college, she had gone through a very, very difficult time in her life, and she began to question whether there was even any reason for her to live. She didn't have a good relationship with her father. She'd gone through some very hurtful times in her life, and one thing had just escalated to another in her life until finally one day she decided it was time to end her life. She wanted to commit suicide. She was actually walking across the green there in her campus, going to a place that she intended to take her life. And as she's walking across that open area, she thought she heard someone calling her name. And she began to walk even more quickly to try to get away from whoever might be calling her and interrupting what she planned to do. But the voice kept crying out more insistently, and the person kept pursuing her. And ultimately, if someone that knew her, had seen her crossing the, uh, the courtway, uh, grabbed hold of her and said, stop, I, I, I've been looking for you. And her friend said, uh, there's a, a new Bible study I went to last week. It's, it's tremendous, and uh, I want you to come with me. And this woman tried to brush off this friend and to say that week wouldn't uh, be working for her. It wasn't convenient, maybe some other time. But her friend would not be uh, dissuaded. And finally, she said, just come with me. And the person finally thought it would be less awkward just to go to this hour-long Bible study than to try to argue with this woman anymore. So she went to the Bible study. It happened to be an Experiencing God Bible study. And that week they were studying that God pursues a love relationship with you. And as that study began unfolding, this woman was suddenly just overwhelmed by the sense that God had been pursuing her. And even as she was making her way to end her life, God had alerted someone else to, to go out looking for her and to find her and to refuse to take no for an answer until she took her into that Bible study and there in that room, this woman was overwhelmed by a sense that God loved her and pursued her and was not giving up on her, and her whole life was transformed. And she always thought to herself, if I ever saw the author of that study, I would love just to thank him for saving my life. And uh, there that day of a dozen or more registration tables and lines, my father happened to get in her line. And that day, she, when she met my father, she cried out, it's you, it's you, and told us that amazing story that she had discovered firsthand that Almighty God, the creator of the universe, wants a love relationship with us. A wonderful story, isn't it? But here's what I want you to understand. Almighty God is pursuing a love relationship with you too. It's not that he just pursues those prior to salvation. He pursues us after salvation as well. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you've struggled with, no matter wh where you are in your walk right now, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth, wants a love relationship with you. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I want you to take your workbooks, and I want you to open, if you will, uh, to page 54, activity 6, page 54. Activity 6. The question was, right there in the middle of the page, in what, uh, letter B, in what ways has God demonstrated his love for us? How did you answer that? Anyone? 
How has God demonstrated his love for us? He laid down his life for us. Anybody put anything different than that? Gave his son. Gave his son. Do what? He loved us first. Yes, draws us to him. I love that scripture in in Romans that you read this week. Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, it describes uh, the fact that we don't go looking for God. God comes looking for us. You remember? Find that one for me. Somebody find it. It's Romans chapter 3. What's the verses? Romans chapter 3. Yes, what is it? 10 through 12, thank you. As it is written, verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Now, did you, what, what word is repeated, class, what word is repeated here? No one. And so that's why this next word is so powerful. All, verse 12. All, because there's no one that's righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. You may want to underline that. No one seeks God. And that, verse 12 then, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is, there's that phrase again. There is no one who does good, not even one. So there, none of us can say, well, you know what? I went looking for God. No, you may think you went looking for God, but the reason you went looking for God was because God came looking for you. And so this whole dynamic that this God who wants a love relationship with you, He loves you so much that He comes looking for you. And so that brings us to page 54 again. Uh, activity number six, letter C, how can we show our love for him? If, if God loves us that way, how do we show our love for him? How did you answer that question? Say that a little louder. How, how do you show your love? You show your love by obeying him and surrendering your life to him. I, I, you've heard me say this over the years. If God died for you, you should live for Him. Does that not make sense? God died for you. Jesus died for you. Your only option is to live for Him. Or, or that should be your option, to live for Him. And so the way that we show God our love for Him is not by saying to God that we love Him, though there's nothing wrong with that. It's not singing that we love Him, though there's nothing wrong with that. But the best way to show our love to God is by obeying Him. Because our obedience is what demonstrates, really, our faith. You know, he says in other places, he talked to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, he says, says, with your mouth you say that you love me, but your heart is far from me. So it's, it's our obedience that we demonstrate, uh, our, our love. Now, I've got a treat for you tonight. I'm not sure if we're going to do this every Wednesday night. I told Chris, we're just, we're just going to try it tonight. 
and, and see how it goes. I, I want to show a video now of Henry Blackaby teaching on this very thing, having a love relationship, because this is such an important part of those seven realities. This one is a huge foundational principle that God pursues a love relationship. And so we found online Henry Blackaby teaching on this very thing about 20 minutes. I don't know if you've ever seen Henry Blackaby, heard Henry Blackaby. In my mind, this is the way Moses would sound if, if Moses was teaching, all right? And you know the connection with Moses to this study. But this is kind of like listening to Moses. And uh, let's see if, if, if it'll work. Henry Blackaby talking about the second reality a love relationship with God. Having established a basic foundational reality that God is always at work around you, a second reality becomes very, very powerful if you watch for it all the way through the Scripture. And that is that God takes the initiative and pursues a love relationship with you that will be very real and very personal. I don't know of a message that needs to be brought to this generation more clearly and more strongly than to help them to understand that God right now is pursuing them out of a heart of love and that because his whole nature is love, he is pursuing that kind of a relationship. And as God makes himself real to you and me, if you were to ask God right now, what is the one thing that you want? What would he say? I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. You say, but Lord, what must I do to do the works of God? That question was asked Jesus in John 6. And he said this, this is the work of God, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Do you know that there is no response of love that you could give to God that is any more profound than to believe him when he sent his son to die for you? So Jesus, when answering the question, what must we do to do the works of God? He said, believe in my son. You mean a relationship with him? And he'd say, yes. When I express my love for you, I put my son in you. And my son will bring you into the deepest relationship with me that's possible to any human being. Henry, you say, God seeks a love relationship with me. Why did you choose the word love? Well, God's nature is love. And he can never express himself toward us, contrary to his nature. So every movement of God toward us, by nature, is a love relationship. Now, our world is really confused about love. So I chose that term because it's the most characteristic note in the way in which God relates to us. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And then God says, do you want to know the one thing that I want from you? 
the greatest of all the commands I've ever given is love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Everything that comes from God toward you and toward me, toward our world, is an expression of love. And it is a covenant of love. That term you'll find in the Bible a lot. When God makes an agreement, it's an agreement of love. So that's dominant in the entire scripture. Help me understand how I am created for eternity. Well, he created us in his own image and in his own likeness. And everything in the scripture indicates that God did not create just for time, but eternity. And Harry, that has an incredible dimension if we think about it, because we think in terms of time, but God doesn't deal with us. In other words, he doesn't help you to be successful for the next six months. When God deals with you, He's talking about changing the course of eternity with you. And so when I read the scripture, God puts my life against the backdrop of eternity. And of course, the scripture says before he ever created, he knew you. And then he talks about he loved you so that you could have everlasting life. So I've tried to put the whole of my life in the context of eternity and not just time. Boy, that's a big concept for us to comprehend. I think it is, Harry, but someone has said that this generation has lost two things. One, the sense of eternity and the sense of accountability. And those two go together. But if you lose both of those, then you've lost a driving motive for the whole of your life or you get, your life gets out of focus and you're just going from crisis to crisis to crisis. If I make a decision today that affects eternity, I do it much different than if I'm doing it to accommodate to the confusion of today and hope that tomorrow I can make another decision. So it, it gives me great freedom to function against the backdrop of eternity. God is the one who is mightily at work. Is he at work in Rwanda? Is he at work in the former Soviet Union? Is he at work in the ghetto areas of the Bronx and, and New York? And does he, is he concerned about the unwed mothers that weep their way through the night? And is he concerned about the people of our world? Oh, yes. Is he pursuing them? Oh, yes. How does God become involved with those for whom he died? Well, in love. Let me, let me put... Uh, one who is praying. When God starts to work in our world, he then pursues us with a deep love relationship. And it is always out of a heart of love that he moves. Let me put it this way. Do you remember in 1 John chapter 4, he says, God is what? Love. Now, let me put it very simply to you. If God by nature is perfect love, that means he can never, ever express himself toward you except it be an expression of perfect love. He would have to to deny his nature 
to express himself in any way toward you except it be an expression of his love. And every movement of God toward a life is an expression of the heart of love. And when he comes to touch your life, it's out of an expression of perfect love for you and then through you. Because wherever God takes up residence, there is an expression of the perfect love of God because he cannot reside anywhere contrary to his nature. And he cannot do anything except it be consistent with his nature. And his nature is perfect love. Now I need to add one other dimension because sometimes we know that up here, but when events start to happen down here, our heart gets very confused. So let me go back and ask you, where in all of history did God forever say, I love you? In the cross. Could we then put the cross here and say, God never comes to your life except he comes through his expression of perfect love. How do I reconcile God's love for me with the realities of judgment and discipline? Well, it's interesting, and again, Harry, you'll find me coming back to the Scripture. The only way I can really know what God is like and why He functions the way He does, in other words, His nature or His purposes or His ways, is to go to the Scripture. And in Hebrews 12, it says, Whom the Lord loves... He chastens and he scourges every son of his or every child of his. Then he says, no chastening or discipline for the moment seems to be joyous but grievous, but afterwards it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now you have children and I have children. Do you discipline them out of love? If we being evil know how to discipline our children because we love them, how much more the God who's perfect love would discipline us because sin can ruin us. And we don't even know that we've departed. But a parent would not let their child who is inexperienced in life go headlong into disaster. And if they were rebelling, you would still discipline them because you love them. God knows far more about what sin can do than you and I would ever do. And so when we go off in sin, he disciplines us in love. So love and discipline are not contrary. Uh, they, they are expression of the same person. Yeah. And strange as it is, that's a wonderful thought. Yes. And it, it's interesting, Harry, because the scripture says, if you're not being disciplined of God, it means you're not his child. I don't discipline my neighbor's kids, but I do discipline my own. And so my kids know I love them. Matter of fact, my oldest son is a president of a seminary. Yeah. And he was in a conference. And I looked at him and I said, Son, now that I see what you have become, I'm so glad I disciplined you when you were younger. <laughs> <laughs> and he smiled. And, but it just hit me. Now yeah. I see what he became. Uh, I'm so glad that in love, I did not let him have his willful way that could have ruined him. And the flip side of that, how sad it would be. Oh. And for those that are lost. Yes. And God loves us 
too much not to discipline us and increase the discipline. See, he doesn't just do it once. If we don't respond, it's so serious with God, he'll increase the discipline just like you and I would with our parents, with our kids. Henry, if I have a quiet time, is that enough to encounter God? No, I think not at all. Uh, we have a tendency to put our relationship to God into segments. That is, if I have a little quiet time with God, I'll do my duty. God didn't say we're to do our duty. He says, I am your life. Now, if God's presence is our life, do we want life just when we have a quiet time, or do we want his life all the way through the marketplace, all the way through the day in crisis? So I encourage individuals to have that time alone with God so that we can get to know him. But then out of that time, you walk out into the business world, out onto the university campus or the high school campus or into the rest of our day with a living relationship with the Lord that we cultivate all day long. Like Jesus, most of, a lot of his prayer was right in the middle of a life situation. Before the grave of Lazarus, he lifts up his voice and prays. You'd say, is he having his quiet time? No, 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 no. It's not a quiet time he's having. He's having an ongoing lifestyle of a relationship with the Lord. Did he have those quiet times? Oh, yes. But they determined the dynamic presence of God all through the day. And I would say a quiet time is not at all enough uh, because you're going to have him there but then leave him out all day long. It's all day long that we need him. And so cultivate the relationship all day long. Yeah, we tend to forget that, don't we? Then yeah. I think that time in the morning or afternoon or evening or whenever it is is enough. Yeah, yeah and I think, it's, I think it's crucial that we have it. Yeah. But certainly not to do our little religious duty with God. Uh, our wives would not put up with that to say I love you at a time in the morning then all the rest of the time I'm on my own. Right. They'd say no, love me all during the day. I want to get back to kind of a father-son or father-child relationship. How can I respond to God as a loving father if my own experience with my father is marred by abuse and broken trust? I've always said that's the time to relate to him and let God define for you what a father really is. And I'd open the scriptures and say, this is what a loving father is like. Now, if someone says, well, I'm finding it difficult to love God because I didn't have a father that loved me. If we could never experience God except when we have some reference point in our own life, we'd be in bad shape. We come to the scripture and see what he's like. Mm -hmm. For instance, he's a shepherd. Uh, is that a loving dimension of a father who guides? Well, if he's a shepherd, let him guide you. Then you'll see what a father ought to have been. Now, I think some people get very disappointed in their earthly fathers when they see how wonderful God is. Yeah. But I would say if you've had a difficult time in, in, in your childhood with an earthly father, then you're a prime candidate to know God as Father. But you come to the Scripture and let God tell you what He's like, and then let Him do it. Don't say, well, Lord, I can't experience you the way you say you want me to because I didn't have a father who did, he would say, that's why I'm coming to you this way. I'm coming to you in a way that you didn't know so that you can not miss that in your life. So to me, it is an encouragement 
to find all the ways in which God as a very intimate, loving, heavenly Father relates and then let Him be that way. Now, some need help. And as a person who grew up in a Christian home with a godly father, I'm very much aware of those who haven't. Mm -hmm. So I put my arm around them. And sometimes my arm around them is a way of knowing that God's arms around them. And we had orphan-type kids in our home all the time. And they saw what a and I became a father to them. And it was easier for them. So I think in a day when there's broken families, our churches and our Christian homes need to put our arms around those who have never known because it'll be easier for them. But it's not a prerequisite. They can just come and let God be what he said he is. Well, don't let the response of people be the motivation for you loving. He said, I will enter into a covenant of love with you and I will overwhelm you with my love, and never again will there ever be a motivation in your life that will equal my love for you. And nothing will ever turn you aside if you keep the relationship of love with me intact. Because others can do what they will, but the cross still stands as the place where God said, I love you. The Lord Jesus, when he came to try and help Thomas get himself oriented. He didn't say, now Thomas, remember all of my teaching. He didn't say, now Thomas, remember all the commands of the Old Testament. What did he do with Thomas? He showed them his hands and his side. And he said, Thomas, if my love is not adequate, then I have nothing else to compel you. Thomas, if it's necessary for you to put your fingers into my wounds so that you know that I love you, then Thomas, do it. But stop doubting and believe. Believe what? Just the resurrection? No. Believe me, Thomas, when I said that I love you, and I lay down my life for you. What was Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. And you know we never have again a record of Thomas ever doubting. And tradition tells us that old Thomas was forever captured by the love of Christ, took his life and went over to India. We have the church of Thomas to this day in India. And tradition tells us that they boiled him in oil as a martyr. But never did Thomas ever turn back. I want you to talk to me for a minute. Tell me what you heard tonight from Henry's teaching uh, that really just kind of spoke to you. Maybe it was a statement, maybe it was an illustration. What was it that kind of jumped out at you? Say it louder. His emotion at the end, all right. What else? Yeah, all right. Well, what did Henry say tonight that 
as you as you, as, you, as he was talking about that pursuing that love relationship with God. Anything else jump out at you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, our wives wouldn't be happy if we said, honey, uh, I'm going to love you, you know, 7 o'clock at about 7.20, maybe 7.25 on good days. Uh, maybe 7.30. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then I go about my day, and no, our our wives want us to love them all the time. And so that's a good point. Somebody else? Made us for eternity. That was a great statement that he made, wasn't it? What, what, what was it about that that caused you to think? Very good. Somebody else? I've got one, but I want to make sure you have a chance. Uh-huh. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I like the part where he said, and I think it was towards the very front, where he talked about that God's nature is love. God is love. First John 4, 6. God is love. That's his very nature. And so everything that he says to us and does for us is through the nature of love. He'd never express himself to you in any way except through love. But that doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is going to be easy or good, does it? In fact, do you remember the story of Carrie, his own daughter, that, that's on, open your books, page 51 Have your workbook, Carrie's Cancer, page 51. Now, I hope, I'm not going to reread all of this to you because I hope that you've already read it, but, but uh, Henry Blackaby's daughter, Carrie, got cancer, a very serious form of cancer, uh, at the age of 16. And he uses that to say, whenever we had to go through this, he said some people face these kind of things and blame God and question God. But how did he approach it? Somebody tell me. How did Henry and his family approach this very trying time? Uh-huh. Right, he, he didn't say you must love, uh, you, apparently you don't love me and this is punishment, no. How did, he, how did he view it? Excellent, absolutely. He viewed it through the cross of Christ. Because God is love, he knows that, that God, whatever God does is going to be a loving gesture. So, uh, in the middle of the page 51, long before this experience with Carrie, I made a determination, no matter what my circumstances, I would never look at my situation except against the backdrop of the cross. 
In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God forever convinced me that he loved me. I love that statement. God forever convinced me that he loved me. Then I'm skipping down just to some highlighted things that I want you to hear. At the end of that paragraph, our love relationship with the Heavenly Father sustained us through an extremely difficult time. Notice how he worded that. Our, it was, he said it was our love relationship with the Father that sustained us. And then he says in the next, sentence, the next paragraph, no matter what your circumstances are, God's love never changes. Some of you might need to underline that tonight because of what you're going through right now, because of what you are experiencing. He says, no matter what your circumstances are, God's love never changes. And then he, he goes down the next, or two sentences after that, never allow your heart to question God's love. Key statement. He loves you. He created you for a love relationship. He's been pursuing you in that love relationship. So never let yourself question God's love. Now, you might question, why has this happened? Or what are you doing through this experience? How should I? You, you can have questions for God, but, but you don't need to question God's love because he settled that. The greatest demonstration of all was when he settled it at Calvary. Now, I want to make sure that we have some time here, but here's what I'd like to do. I'd like, because this is such a key passage, I'd like for you in in twos or maybe threes, if, if, if uh, that works better for you. I'd like for you all to try to quote that memory verse we've had this week. Remember I told you we're going to have a little bit of accountability here because uh, we've asked you to do some things each week. So just turn around and talk to somebody. Each of you try to quote the memory verse, and then we're going to look at it real quickly. Go ahead, break up and talk to one another. All right, just stay right there where you are. If you've moved around, don't, you don't have to move back because we're going to do something else. Matthew 22, open your Bibles to Matthew 22. Uh, you've learned the verse, but I want you to see two verses that follow it. Matthew 22, beginning to verse 37, of course, is one of the verses you've learned. And I preached this passage of Scripture uh, from the book of Mark, same same scripture, though, from the book of Mark recently. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. That's the, verse, the verses that you memorize. But I also want you to see the other half of this passage, verse 39. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And again, I preached on that uh, recently uh, as we looked at the book of Mark. But I want you to see verse 40. What's that first word in verse 40? All. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everybody look up here. I brought my big Bible for a purpose. This is my study Bible. Jesus said, everything in here hangs on 
loving God, loving others. That everything else that God uh, asks of you, everything else that God instructs you, everything else that God wants for you, everything else that God has taught you, all of it, everything in this big Bible, all of it hangs, he said. Loving God and loving others. So this whole concept that God pursues a love relationship for you, I just want to underline for you, that's for today too. It's not just for those who, are, who have yet to accept Christ. God pursues a love relationship with us after our salvation just as much. And we need it just as much. All right, I would ask you to bow your heads with me. I want to lead us in prayer. And tonight my prayer is going to be a little different. Uh, tonight I'm simply going to read Psalm 103 or parts of Psalm 103 as our prayer tonight. Just heads bowed, eyes closed. Just let this word speak to you and let it be your prayer as well. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits, who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts, you His servants who do His will. Praise the Lord, all His works everywhere in His dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And in Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.